Exposing the darkness, revealing the light. And we are back at it, my friends. Welcome to The Blind Exorcist. We are up to episode 19, and 20 is just around the corner. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming along on our journey. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And you know what to do, right? Just tap on share, get this out to your family and friends, post it out on your social media, and also join and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You're going to enjoy this. Episode 19 here, I'm interviewing Aziz and Nina. They are from South Africa, and they are an exorcist husband and wife team. And oh my gosh, do they have an amazing testimony, amazing story. Being raised in South Africa during the apartheid era, fascinating. They themselves having demons, being introduced to Dr. Larson, going through exorcism sessions, and then they themselves becoming exorcists. Aziz is Indian. He was Muslim. He became a Christian. Fascinating story we're going to hear. Nina is Indian and Sicilian. Interesting bloodline there. And we're going to talk about that too and how she became a Christian and how she went through exorcism sessions and became an exorcist. But this episode is really full of a lot of history of South Africa. Fascinating. You're going to want to listen to this, man. I'm telling you, this is so interesting. And then to incorporate the Muslim religion and the practices that Aziz was involved in. Fascinating. So get ready for a great episode. This is going to be very interesting. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Let's put it this way. When we were done with the interview and I hit stop on record, I was speechless. And that doesn't happen. As you guys know, I have the gift of gab, heavily anointed with the gift of gab, <laughs> where I can just talk and talk, right? At the end, I was speechless. And I told him, I said, guys, I don't know what to say. I am speechless. The beauty of the testimony and the movement of God in these people's lives, just outstanding. So get ready. This is going to be an awesome episode. Sit back, relax, enjoy this, and make sure to share it out to, again, your family and friends or anyone you know that's Muslim or anyone that you know is Sicilian. They will get a lot out of this. So get ready. This is going to be an awesome episode. Without any further ado, let's go. Aziz, Nina, welcome to The Blind Exorcist. Thank you, Justin, for having, having me and Nina on. It's really a blessing to be here with you today. Hi, Justin. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really a blessing. I would like to thank both of you for taking the time to come on and speak with us. I'm excited. Guys, these are a wonderful couple who are exorcists in South Africa, and they have been trained by Dr. Larson. So I'm very excited to step into their story and see how in the world does a husband and wife become exorcists? <laughs> and Aziz, and we'll get into this, he was Muslim. He's now a Christian. 
exorcist. And so at first we're going to talk about where they were born and a little bit about their childhood. Then we're going to talk about how did they get into exorcism as a ministry. And then after that, we're going to flush out some of the concepts around exorcism, maybe talk a little bit about it, educate people about it some. And then from there, see where the Lord wants to lead us. So as a start, Aziz, can you tell the audience where you were born and what was it like being raised as a child in your country? Thank you. Thank you, Justin. So I was born in a, a South Africa's geography to, towards Botswana. On, on, there's a border town, a rural town. And I grew up in a Muslim home. As you said, we were four, four brothers. And we grew up in a very, let's say, loving Muslim family. And being a practicing Muslim, I used to be in madrasa and mosque quite often, yeah? So that was the practice. You spend a lot of time in the community as a Muslim, and this was important. My parents were loving, my grandparents were loving towards me as a child. We, I would say, would be the typical normal family. Uh, with no major challenges or issues. We then decided uh, due to economic reasons, dad moved, had to move to find work and we moved into closer into the middle of the country towards Johannesburg for the audience, maybe to keep it simple, but close to Johannesburg, there was a little, let's call it Indian town because at the time we were in the middle of apartheid, we were still segregated at that time. So we Grew up in a very small Indian community, again, as a practicing Muslim. So as I grew up in this Muslim faith, let's call it, I would say that I was a Muslim that that was practicing. So I did mosque, I did the fasting, the 40-day fasting. So I was really a practicing Muslim. I joined a Sufi group at a very young age. My dad asked that I joined. So for those that don't know, it's almost like a mystical, mystic sect in the Muslim faith. And so I was asked to join this. So very typical, I would say, for my upbringing, nothing extraordinary at that point in time. So yeah, my childhood was, I would say, normal uh, with no, let's say, major issues in my life. Thank you, Aziz. That is fascinating. We'll definitely flush that out about the Sunni and your involvement in that. I'm interested to talk about that. But first, let me jump over to Nina. Nina, can you tell us where you were born and what your childhood was like? I was born in a, a place called Lady Selborne. It is part, it was part of Pretoria in a where nuns a, a convent where nuns are and that's basically where i grew up until the group segregation act came into being with the apartheid laws end and end and we were forced to move like disease you know, segregation became a real thing so my childhood i would say was i will use the term very colorful it was beautiful I know that I was a very spoiled little privileged little girl. Yeah, that uh, that is about what I can talk about in terms of religion. There were all kinds of religious practices that my mum 
bought into. However, I must say that she came from her dad and her grandfather were Muslim, but from a different background than Aziz's. There's not just one type of, and but the, also the intermingling of different races in this country when I think I turned three years old became an issue. And uh, that's when my life became interesting as well. But yeah, in a nutshell. Thank you so much, Nina, for sharing about your childhood. And it's interesting about, I've watched lots of documentaries about South Africa and apartheid. And to have people here that actually experienced it, I would like to flush that out a little bit for the audience so that they can understand what this exactly was like for each of you. So let me start with you, Aziz. First of all, if you could let us know, what is your ethnicity? And then share with us how the apartheid impacted you in your life. Are you sincerely sick and tired? I mean, dude, sick and tired of the torment, the emotional suffering, the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks, or worse yet, the compulsive addictions that you just can't shake. Are you ready to get rid of your demons? If you answered yes, I'd like to invite you right now to go to my website, www.justind.com and click on appointment and book a session with me. Yes, Justin. So I am actually, I grew up as an Indian in, as I said, in Laudium in the Indian community. I say I grew up as an Indian only to find out later. I think my mom was saying that her mom was Portuguese. So I have some Portuguese in me, somewhere a very small percentage, but we grew up Indian. Uh, and if you know from, as I said, apartheid, when we, was, when we started apartheid in the country, we were all classified in different, let's call it groupings. Uh? So you had a classification white, uh, Indian, or Asian, colored. So in I think in the U.S. it's like a mixed race almost uh, term, which is not a PC or politically correct term, but I'm just trying to explain. And then you had the black community. And so the, the country was segregated or separated in different townships according to the community you belong to. So we, at the time, were classified as Indian, and we had to live in an Indian township uh, close to Johannesburg. And Aziz, when you were segregated, what was the reasoning behind that from the actual government? Justin, it's, it was interesting. So I was obviously a young boy, but the point was it started off from the Afrikaans, let's call it government at the time, or the Dutch government. A Dutch descendant, shall I say, they used actually the Bible as a basis for their reasoning. But in fact, they felt all other race groups were inferior compared to the European or white race group. And so they developed this segregated communities based on this because they didn't want, let's say, inter-community relationships or marriages. In fact, it was according to the country's laws at the time, you were, it was illegal for you to get married to a white person if you fell in the other race groups. So this was legislated in law at the time. 
let's say with God's blessing, this has obviously changed <laughs> since 1994. And I think it's much better today. And there's a lot of, let's say a lot of hurt that God has helped most of the communities to get through. I wouldn't say it's done. There's still a lot of work that God needs to do. Yeah, But at that time, it was, for us, it was normal. Growing up in this segregated community, we thought it was normal to, to live separately as Indians. Yeah, This was quite interesting. And in 1994, what was it that drove the government to stop with the apartheid? Aziz, I'm asking you that. I'm curious on that. At the time, I think there was a lot of international pressure on the local South African government at the time. There was a lot of help given to, let's say, those that fought what what's commonly referred to in the country as the struggle. I am not one of those because, as I said, it's, it was for us normal to live as Indians, and I didn't see an issue with this. At the time. But at 1994, I think uh, with a lot of pressure from international governments and also from the inhabitants of the country. There was a lot of unrest and political unrest at the time. And it was a combination of many factors that actually led to the government realizing that they're actually sitting on a powder cake. And if nothing is done, the country will actually end up in anarchy and unrest. With God's grace, I think God's, in the Bible it says God works on the king's hearts. And I think in this case, the president at the time realized that it was time to, time to stop apartheid or segregation for the country. And they worked with, let's say, with, the, with Nelson Mandela and his team to try and get the country out of, out of apartheid. Very interesting. Yes, I just watched a documentary on Nelson. It was fascinating. What a wonderful person to help with all of this. Nina, coming back to you and talking about apartheid and, you know, the impact and how you felt. What was your ethnicity and what are your thoughts on when you were living in this apartheid segregation? For me, it was basically what Aziz just spoke about. My background or my biological dad is Sicilian. And when the the apartheid was installed into the country, I guess I was about three or four years old. My mom had a choice and she chose to hide me in plain sight. I don't know if that makes any kind of sense. But now that I'm thinking about it, she lived in a lot of fear. I was free as a child, and she in fear, uh, hid me away, as it were. So, um, yeah, this was coupled with the fact that she would always say things to me like, it's not going to be forever. She knew the underground movements of what was going to happen when the new government comes into power, when the street names would be changed, when, because I saw the restriction. We were, if you get onto a bus, for example, as a child, you're with mum, you get onto the bus, you're going to town with mama. There are different bus stops. So the one says white, uh, blankers or whites only, then the other one's for bantus, which is black. And then the other is uh, for all other. 
And I remember when I was in college, the one day I stood at the all other and the white bus stopped for me. And I was so fearful that I said to him, no, go, don't even stop. That is the kind of fear now that I'm thinking about it as an adult that we actually grew up with of the white man of basically not stepping over that line. Because my mom used to tell me what they would do. Like, for example, with the black people, especially, if they found them on the streets after 6 p.m. in the evening and they didn't have a book, it was called like, it's not a passport, it's a passbook. They would pick you them up and they would literally not even give them a trial. And they would literally hang them. That is how this apartheid government ruled this country. I was, as a child, you spoiled, hidden away because if mom was caught out in me with whom my father is and end, she, I would have been taken away. They would have locked her up and the repercussions would have been parallel to that is always hearing the stories she spoke about, what they do and seeing it, the fear that drove this country is they don't speak about it. It it was ruled by the apartheid government with fear, fear of being killed without a trial, without even, if you were just a a deeper shade of dark, whatever it was, and there was a dispute, you would be literally what my mom used to say, taken to the gallows and hanged. Today they have closed the gallows, the hanging gallows. That was apartheid in this country. So for me, it's the fear. So I think I grew up with it. Don't look at me too much. No, I'm not. I'm trying to blend into the Indian community, as it were, um, trying to assimilate into that with my Mediterranean skin. My my lighter eyes, my straight hair, it didn't, it wasn't comprehensible, but I managed to blend in. But fear, Justin, uh, ruled this country to a point where the white Afrikaans government, the white man was right and everything else was wrong and they never talk about it. Or if they publish things, it was never out of this country how they murdered on the farms and without inciting violence by whoever years this. And it was a big thing, I think, the day when the country with Nelson Mandela got together and the ex-government and decided on, he could have turned, Mandela could have turned and decided, fast forwarding now to 1994, 96, they could have literally turned on the country and killed But they decided, let's make it a peaceful transition. Let's do it. And he would become the first black president of this country. And this was a a spiritually a big moment for the country as well as for the people. It's not reparation for the blood that was spilled. But between growing up and 1994, 96, it was, it was really, we, could, we voted for the first time, we as in the entire country. Because in the past, only the white men could go and vote. Um, and it's not spoken of outside 
of this country, or unless you are from South Africa, there was a lot of bad that was done in the name of I have a white skin, so hence I am like like Hitler. I am superior. The Aryan nation, that type of superiority, which, uh, yeah, the, so the, the fear. So every what was became normal to us was living in the shadows of not stepping out of line, not going to the wrong bus stop, not even the schools were segregated. Oh, there was a lot. So you couldn't get an education at a, a university or a higher place of learning if you were non-white. And if you were black, it was even worse. Yeah, this country, was, it was a lot of fear. Uh, yeah, without going too far with that. Nina, thank you so much for giving us history on how bad this really was inside of the country. And you are correct. I live in America, and we hear some about it. We have some documentaries that, that we can watch, but to actually hear it from somebody who experienced it is an entirely different matter. So all I can say is thank you, Jesus, for stopping this in South Africa. And I'm sure it took time to adjust once the segregation had been removed. Psychologically, I'm sure it took quite a while for both of you to become comfortable and used to being free. And speaking of freedom, let's transition over to Christianity and how Jesus Christ became both of your saviors. And at a certain point in time, you both became a Christian. Aziz, I'm going to come back over to you. And how did you hear about Christianity? And how did you become a Christian? Justin, as I said, I was a Muslim at the time, and I can't express the hatred I had for Christians or Jesus, as the Christians described him. Because as a Muslim, Jesus was at that time a prophet, like any other prophet before. So a little about Islam, I'm sure you in your podcast had a few ex-Muslims. You'd know that all Muslims are not equal, if it's, that makes sense. So within the Muslim faith, and today even, there are a lot of different belief systems and rituals that are performed. So for me, at the time, I'd say growing up as a Muslim, I never, I saw the church because we lived, by the way, in, a, in this Indian community, we had multiple faiths. So Islam, Hindus, Catholics, Methodists, so they had their places of worship in the area, but they knew not to let's say, try and evangelize across the different faith lines because this was frowned, frowned upon. So when I grew up, I didn't know Jesus and I didn't want anything to do with this Jesus that the Christians believed in. But let's say God, I think our Lord, has a great sense of humor and loves us because he put me in front of this beautiful wife of mine. So I, when I saw her, I told her, listen, uh, I love you. I know somewhere in our future we are going to get married to each other. Eventually, we got married, just to keep it short. And for me, it was a blessing. But I still was a Muslim, so I got married in the Muslim faith. In fact, Nana was a Christian at the time, and she had to convert to Islam. 
or else we would not be getting married. And this was quite, at that time as a Muslim, quite a victory because I thought, hey, I'm getting an, one Christian out of the faith yeah, and joining, joining the Muslim faith. Little knowing that my, I call her the firecracker wife of mine, uh, was an undercover Christian. So even though she got married, married to me as a Muslim, she kept the Bible. And she would keep keep the faith and reading the Bible and praying for me with her mom at the time in the toilet or in in places where I can't see. And her mom and her prayed on some of my clothes. I didn't know about this. Obviously, they were praying for my freedom into this wonderful, let's call it a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's I don't like to call it a religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit started working with me because then eventually I think I realized there was something wrong and I was searching in my life because something happened to our son. Our son had a bad accident and almost died. And I was praying to my Muslim God, Allah, with no results. And Naina, Naina stepped in with her mom and said, now it's time. We're not keeping it. We're not keeping it hidden anymore. And they prayed for this, for my son and he had a miraculous healing. So at that point, I was quite confused because I thought I was serving the one and only true God, as they say. But today I know that's not the case. But at that time, I thought it was. Then I started searching. And as I used to go to mosque, I started praying. And so if you know the Muslim, Muslim faith, you pray five times a day. There's a certain rituals you'd perform, certain prayers you'd perform, and then you leave the mosque. But at the end of the prayer part, I just sat there and I prostrated and I prayed this prayer. And I think it's one that many ex-Muslims would understand. I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord, I'm not interested in, in, in any other God but the true God. But the true God, the one only true God that is create has created the heavens and the earth. So I did not mention a specific God, but I did not mention a specific God, but I just wanted to know the creator of the universe, the one that created me, the one that created the earth, the one that that brought everything into existence. And that started me on a journey because I believe the Holy Spirit was already working with me at that time. And then I started speaking to Naina about this Jesus because my, the Holy Spirit softened my heart to Jesus and his message. And we started talking and uh, Naina shared with me some some videos on on preaching about the this Jesus, this God. and so. Yeah, it is interesting. It's I think it's in John where God is described or Jesus is described as the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And I saw this whole video and I was I was really glued. I it made sense to me. What was being described and what was being shared by this pastor at the time really made sense. And I believe it made sense because the Holy Spirit was working in me to understand what the pastor was saying. If someone had showed me this uh, even two, three years before that, I would have probably broken the TV screen because it's blasphemy uh, as a Muslim. But because of what happened with my son and I could see that 
there was something something in Jesus that I needed to find out that led me to that point. And God started opening me up. And I was still searching, but I did not find find the right answer, the right moment. But I understood that I'm heading in the right direction. And in fact, I then decided there was a big evangelist coming to the country and I needed to go and drop her mom and herself at this event. I was still a Muslim, still going to mosque. And I said, okay, I will go. I will drop you at the entrance and then I will come back home. But when I got there, I realized that there were quite far away and it was not in a very secure place and I said okay I'll go with you guys I'll stay in there this is I'm a Muslim nothing is going to actually impact me but when I was standing there and I was just looking at this and I said God this can't be you because there's people jumping around singing happily clapping uh, this can't be you and, and I remember there was it was raining that day and I said, God, who are you? Who are you? Who's, who's, who are you, Lord? And I heard the audible voice of God speaking to me at that moment. And God says, I am Jesus Christ. Justin, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Just sharing it again. It's such a blessing to have received such a word from the Lord. And from that moment on, I did not tell Naina or her mom what I experienced. Because it, I to still process it. I work in IT. I'm a very logical person. I had to go home and process it. But I knew at that moment that, hey, this is God. And I started reading and praying before the Lord. And then I had a Bible in the house. And I used to just go through the Bible. And the Lord also used uh, Matthew 5, uh, which is, was quite an inspiration and a support for me during this time. Eventually, I think I told Nana, listen, love, I am now born again. I don't want to serve the devil anymore. And I want to serve the true God, the true Lord of this world. His name is Jesus Christ. And uh, Nana then took me to, to church where I gave my life to the Lord. And this was in 1995, so just around the time when we came out of apartheid. And she was obviously very happy and uh, and so it was really a blessing to us. Obviously, not knowing at the time, but I had to share this with my Muslim family. And this really caused, as you can imagine, quite a big problem. Because as a Muslim, you are not allowed to leave the Muslim faith. By law, they would have they are allowed to kill you. But I think it was a blessing to actually be in a, country, a Christian country because I got support from a lot of Christian brothers who I never knew to try and protect me. But let's say when I shared this, they started persecuting me and my family. They came to my house and actually threatened to kill us and threatened to, hurt, to harm us, but not only me, but the entire family, meaning my wife, my kids. So at that point, obviously a lot of prayer and uh, Nana sharing some of the word through the church also got a lot of support from the family, but it was very tough. And actually during this time, the Lord encouraged me with, uh, with a vision because actually what happened is uh, as I slept, one night as I slept, uh, the Lord showed me a dream or a vision where there were angels and camped around the home where I was living at, uh, winked up to winked up. And this is a prayer. It's in my prayer life today. I always use this. But so the angels were encamped around the house and uh, winked up to winked up. And 
there was the enemy, demons trying to attack us, my, meaning my house and my family. And they were repelled by God's angelic forces who was protecting us. In fact, eventually I started, let's say, meeting up with some of my family again because they started softening. And one of my cousins actually said he deals in the mystic arts and started praying to, to harm us. And he said, Aziz, he believed he was sending angels, but it was not angels, but demons. Aziz, our angels could not penetrate your house to harm you. And so he just confirmed what God shared with me in my dream. This was really a blessing. And from that moment on, as they say, it's history. I don't look back. I love the Lord. The enemy can take everything around me away from me, but I will always serve the Lord. Thank you so much, Aziz, for sharing your testimony. How powerful. <laughs> I love how the Lord just kept working on you. And I'm muted on my end, but when you said that Nina and her mom were praying over your clothing, I burst out laughing. because, <laughs> Yes, that is the love of a wife. And that was your first mistake. You married a Christian. <laughs> so anyhow, Nina, let me come back to you. Now, you had to have been absolutely thrilled when your husband said that he wanted to become a Christian. Tell us about what was it like to experience that as a wife? Yeah, a young wife. It was actually, um, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was praying, which may not be a good way to pray as a wife, because as he said, I was the closet Christian. I was forced to convert to Islam, and I prayed to God in the bathrooms and behind the scenes. My cry to God was, Lord, either save him or end his life, which doesn't sound right. However, it's two ultimatums, and I never thought that God would could save him. And I remember the day when he spoke about when we were at that big conference. It was massive, an outdoor venue that was just, yeah. I looked at him, and my mom looked at him, and there were tears streaming down his face, and we both looked at each other. And as the realization came to me, it became, what was the word that I can use? Father, you answered my prayer. Um, there was no fear about it. There was an untold amount of joy. I never counted the persecution that would soon follow. I, uh, To me, it was then the children would be redeemed. But by then, we'd already had my eldest daughter and my son. So it was a moment that I know the God that I serve is alive. I know that the God that I serve answers prayer. And that prayer came out of desperation. So there was, I'm going to use the word peace, that came upon us that you can't buy that kind of peace. The Holy Spirit's presence upon the two of us and our young family was tangible, and there are no words 
that I can use to actually describe those few months or moments. And then, of course, soon, I think a few months after that, I think it's when Aziz's mum asked him because they didn't know, can you come in? It is, uh, they fast and then they break. They have a big thing and prayers. They they call it Ramadan. And he said to his mum without hesitation, I can't. And then she said, oh, is it the wife again? No, because I'm a Christian. And I think heaven and hell stood still at that moment. And then, I wouldn't say the Holy Spirit left us, but the peace and that we had for those joyous moments turned into persecution and hell coming from the outside. But for those moments, to answer your question, Justin, there is no words to one day when we are with the Lord, we will know in his presence what it is like. So for those few months, I don't even have a word beyond peace that the English vocabulary can describe. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful testimony. Thank you, Jesus. And when you mentioned, Nina, that when Aziz said, I cannot attend Ramadan, that heaven and hell stood still. And of course, as an exorcist, I'm nodding my head and saying, yes, absolutely. Because that is when the spiritual conflict started. And of course, it started with persecution towards you guys and your family and so forth. But really, as you guys know, it was demons and the Lord. There was a conflict. You guys at that point in time started to experience true spiritual conflict. And like you said earlier, Aziz, the Sunnis have a lot of supernatural practices into the mystic arts. So there's a lot going on at this point in time in both of your lives. Obviously, you guys needed an exorcism at a certain point in time. So let's transition into that just for a minute. I understand that you guys at some point in time met Dr. Bob Larson. And I'd like to talk about that. Aziz, let's flush this out a little bit. So you're an ex-Sunni and somehow you meet Dr. Bob Larson. I'd like you to share with us a little bit. What was it like, first of all, experiencing the demonic attacks in your life? Secondly, how did you meet Dr. Larson? Justin, just to actually say, as as any anybody coming to Christianity and being born again comes with a whole host of baggage, and the baggage sometimes is not that good. So for me, at least, what what happened is during our journey, we lived as believing Christians, and what actually triggered our kind of connection with uh, Pastor Bob when he wa- when he was in South Africa was actually our son. So at the time, our son, unbeknownst to us, was involved in, let's say, occult practice in in his with his friends, and this actually led to some conflict in the house. In fact, it got to a stage where he had strong manifestations, and we were searching for help for him in the Christian community, but also obviously 
from a psychological perspective as well. Psychologically, it was he got the help he needed, but at the time when this happened, actually not many Christians understood what was going on and actually tried to actually deliver my son. But as we know today, through our teachings with Pastor Bob, that you need, your mind needs to be first still, so you can't actually treat a... You've got to get first treated psychologically or mentally to bring your mind still so that we can actually go into deliverance and exorcism, right? But at the time, mom and I didn't know this. So we were the typical evangelical Christians. And I remember my son manifested in the garden and we both tackled him to the ground. And we started, or at least I tackled him to the ground and mom and I started praying for him. We did not actually realize it was in the middle of a psychotic break. So for us, it actually looked like uh, he, was, uh, he was under demonic attack. So just to give, get a bit of a segue into Pastor Bob, Naina was the one that was actually searching to find help for our son. And because she believed, as she believed with me, that our Lord would answer our prayer and help us through this difficult time with our son. And this is then this took us on this journey with Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob was in the country and she found this out uh, actually about a thousand two hundred kilometers away from us. And we actually drove with my son to visit Pastor Bob. And what was interesting is we thought we were going for our son, but in fact, as the pastor explained to us at the time, Pastor Bob, that there is things that need to be cleared out generationally with mom and dad first, before you can get to the son. So that was our first introduction, at least for us face-to-face with Pastor Bob. Obviously, through Nana's research, we started watching online what he was about. At first, I thought, what's this Roman? What is this What is this exorcism about? Because for me, as a Muslim, it, it was not something normal. So as a new Christian at that point in time, also something a bit strange. So, but I think Naina can maybe give a bit more insight and a bit more detail on our journey to meet with Pastor Bob. Thank you, Aziz, for sharing that with us. And let me come over to you, Nina, and share with us what was going on here with all of this. Your son is having mental health conditions. Plus, there's demons manifesting. And as a mother, of course, you are protective over your children. And you're praying and you're praying. You find Dr. Larson. What was it like when you first went to Dr. Larson, the three of you, to meet up with him? So my son, it was what I call a combination of cannabis, or I'm not sure what they call it in their country. Uh, friends of his that introduced him to the new age, opening doors and from experimenting, it went badly wrong. As he said, uh, we cornered him in the garden and all I knew instinctively, and this didn't come, and I have to, yes, the Christian church that we belong to was a beautiful church and it was a big church. However, the prosperity gospel and exorcism parts ways at that point, where, when we approached the church and me uh, as a mom, and I said, I think, and I know it's in my DNA, it's in my blood, 
that he needs an exorcist, an exorcism, sorry. And the church basically turned us away. And that was the day I basically went back home after instinctively putting, because what my son was also doing with cannabis and, and, and is he was astral projecting, which if there's any new ages or Christians, they believe in the yoga and the, all of those things. Here it is. I had to protect him. I put the, to the Bible, opened it up, put it on Psalm 91, put it over his heart because he's underage at the time. And I said, Father God, protect him while we find help. It was at that moment that I prayed, not on, there wasn't Facebook or NNN. And I said, if I Google something, it will pop up. I know it's not the lotto, it will pop up. But the, the church, and this is a mega church, can't help us. Please, Father, send us help. And there was a little Edward on Google coming to Johannesburg. Then he was um, Dr. Bob Larson, um, exorcisms from New Age, from Satanism, N and N. And I knew that I had to call that number. And it turns out Dr. Larson spoke about he was supposed to be in Johannesburg and there was another church down on the coast where he was also invited to. Hence the journey that Aziz spoke about. And I didn't know how, but I knew that whoever this man was who God sent, it was the last money we had. It was the last everything we had. We packed him into the car and we couldn't fly down those thousands of kilometers. We drove down. And I believe when I saw Dr. Larson for the first time, and I, my heart just sank because he's present. He's a very well presented American man. And I thought, oh, Lord, not another prosperity gospel preacher because we've had the Joel Osteens and the Creflo Dollars. And, and, and he introduced himself and we went up into the office. But then that was what I call the Kronos moment in this family's life is in our lives were never the same again. And yeah, that was in 2014, 2015. And I think I believe that was the last time that Dr. Larson came to South Africa, that he would go to Eastern Europe. But to meet him in person, and I believe he was there with the, his eldest daughter and a few others. So we met some of the others. But to actually have which Americans don't realize is a privilege when you have the American dollar and you're able to actually drive to where Dr. Larson is and go for an in-person encounter. You don't understand how privileged you guys are. And my our Kronos moment for the family, I marked it down. It was, it had made, I know that God had again answered our prayer. I know, again, the things were never, because people think it's an instant, you know, instantly all things are made new, and instantly, like when you are born again, everything is made new. No, it, all of it took a lot of time. So Dr. Larson obviously dealt with me as well, and, 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 but he proved, no, he's not an American prosperity gospel preacher, and what he's doing was, and there, 
is the real deal. It is, you get these fly-by-night exorcisms and fly-by-night deliverance ministry. This man, the ministry and what they're doing, and no one's paying me for this, is the real deal. Just to fast-track to where we are today is a natural progression that happened, I think, from 2014. But finding Dr. Larson was prayer. It was a mother down on her. I was crying. Justin, no one was around. There was no big church to support me or to look at me. I was on my knees crying over my son, crying. And I was saying, Father God, if you are in heaven as I believe you are, please see my heart. I didn't even have words, Justin. I just cried. I said, send us help. Please send. I know in my bloodline, in my, from my ancestry, that we need an exorcism. What it was, what it entailed, I didn't know. But we needed it, and God answered. Praise the Lord. Wow, that is so inspiring to to think that you are in South Africa with absolutely no help whatsoever, nothing. And your son is suffering because he smoked marijuana. We call it marijuana, cannabis, same thing, and opened himself up to demons. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. Can I use medical marijuana? Can I smoke marijuana? Can I eat? gummies? Can I vape marijuana? You can do anything you want in life, but you're going to get demons. Because when you give up control of your soul, your mind, your thoughts, how you think, your emotions, how you feel, when you give that up by smoking marijuana or any drug, you give that control up to someone. And that someone is Satan. And that someone is demons. And so This is what happened with your guy's son. In addition to that, the ancestral curses that you mentioned, Nina, from you and from Aziz, same with me. I've been through exorcism sessions with Dr. Larson for 14 months. (laughs) So there isn't much benefit when you're German and Irish and the amount of ancestral generational DNA curses passed on to me at birth was awful. And people have heard me say this before. My ancestry went back to the Druids in Ireland. And of course, being German, clear back to the Hitler regime and beyond. Bunch of murderous, Freemasonry, all this stuff. 14 months to clean me up. And I don't say that proudly. It saddens me that it took that long because if my Christian parents understood exorcism, if the Christian churches in America understood exorcism and were open to it, I would have never suffered. And just like your son, guys, I suffered tremendously my whole life, my teenage years, my early adults. And I think my first exorcism session was in my late 40s maybe 48, something like that, 47. I don't recall exactly, but years of torment. Not to give glory to Satan, but I am curious. Nina, let's start with you. When Dr. Larson worked with you, what was it generationally 
that he surfaced within you that needed broken? You'd say 14 months. And then I think from 2014, if I counted, it probably would be that many man hours. The common one, because I can narrow it down now, always goes back with me to the the Norse gods. For some very interesting reason, it always shifts to the Norse mythology, which I don't know if you can draw through the bloodline, but I know, was it last year, September, October? Dr. Larson, uh, yeah, we had another situation, and he said he w- he's interested in knowing where this all leads to. But when I went back and re, we had someone recorded and just reconnected uh, uh, the dots backwards, it all seems to go to either the Romans or the Norse, Norse mythology. And like you say, with the Germans, the Nord, you are part of the, you would know the entomology N&N when the Vikings N&N, but it keeps going back that way. And that, that is sometimes, uh, in the beginning when Dr. Larson, uh, when it first um, reared its, itself, uh, Dr. Larson was, because my profile, when I give it ethnically and the background, it doesn't gel. But we all don't know what our ancestry, uh, true ancestry is. And that would kind of surface from my end. With Aziz's end, it were the Persians. They probably conquered most of what the Greeks couldn't conquer in and in. So between the Persians and the Norse, uh, yeah, with me, mainly just uh, the Norse uh, mythology. Got, uh, yeah. Thank you. For sharing that, yes. And for those who don't know, the what she's referring to, the Nordic gods, is the mythological gods that the Vikings and so forth would worship. Thor, Loki, Freya, Odin. These are real demons. Hollywood makes movies about these. Puts them up as funny. Some of them are funny. Some of them are just serious. But... They are true demons, and as exorcists, we deal with them often with people who have Nordic ancestry. And to your point, Nina, about just getting one recently, I myself also just recently went through another exorcism because as things surface, we keep going. I'm not letting anything live in my mind for free. I just said this on the other episode. Why would anyone... Give a demon a free hotel room in your mind to stay there when you can kick them out. I'm going to kick them out. So anytime anything surfaces in my life, it's just another layer of the onion. So very common for anyone listening that's been through deliverance ministry, you're not done. (laughs) You might be done, but typically it's like layers of an onion. You remove one layer and maybe a year later, a couple months later, three years later, whenever another layer surfaces, it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not a bad Christian, whatever. Go get another exorcism. Get it done. Put it this way. Nina, you mentioned we don't know our ancestry. And I ordered an ancestry DNA kit because I'm like, and that this was recent that I just did this. In fact, they're still spinning the results. I've not gotten the results yet because as an exorcist, 
I want to see where does my DNA go. I know about German and Irish, but there's more there, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Because these ancestral curses come through the DNA. Epigenetics. That's the key word. Epigenetics. Study it. It's passing on things through the DNA that surface in someone's life today in the present. This isn't new age. This is biological. It happens. The ancestral curses come through your DNA. Most people are born with them. So that's my encouragement to people. If you have the ability to get a DNA test run, get one ran. And if you want to get rid of your demons, then get a hold of me and let's kick them out. Stop giving them a free hotel room to just come in and lay around and torment you and enjoy it and laugh at you and everything else. You can kick them out. So I'm going to come back to you, Aziz. If you can, share a little bit about the generational curses, the Sunnis. I'm sure you had to renounce all of that and so forth. What was it that was vexing you? What were these demons that were going to get expelled out of you? Yeah, for me, I think when we started with uh, Dr. Bob, we was mainly focused on breaking our curses. So as mom and dad, we broke uh, all our curses, as we said, from the Muslim faith. But as God led, uh, led uh, Dr. Bob, obviously, we through the Holy Spirit, we found many other onion layers that you mentioned. But those that manifested, manifested were more Persian. Persian demons. In fact, it was, I think, the main one for me was Xerxes, who was a conqueror in the, from a Persian perspective. And this kind of manifested quite strong, strongly. I would say that the one thing which I realized, uh, and I think is brother Lucas, who's maybe similar, where Nana would sometimes manifest some of my demons as we go through deliverance, because we did a lot of sessions together with Dr. Bob. So Dr. Bob would be praying for me, and then this, the unclean spirit would actually pop up with Naina. So this was interesting, and it was a way of getting these spirits clean. A lot of, let's call them, altars came up as well from the family line that were part of me, from brothers to mom to dad that were still around that were causing harm to both Naina and I. Uh, but yeah, it was quite an interesting experience to go through this as a logical person. Quite difficult at times because you've got these thoughts coming in your head as you're going through the deliverance. And the pastor is saying, say this, but pastor, no, because this is quite bad. And so you're always fighting in your mind to, to actually say this. And I realized at one stage, it's actually not me. It's the spirit. And to bring them out is to bring them out into the light so that they can be permanently exposed and expelled from your life because they just create torment and unnecessary torment for you and your family. So I learned that at the beginning, I would say I, I did not have such a big manifestations as Naina did because as I was saying, it's my spirit sometimes manifested through Naina. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing. It's a fascinating concept, and I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, that the Bible says that when two people come together sexually, they become one. They become one in their soul. They become bonded in their soul, their emotions, their thoughts. Sometimes 
a husband's coming home from work and he can just get a sense of what his wife needs before he even walks in the house. So maybe he comes home with some roses as an example, or a wife can just know that maybe her husband's having a bad day. They got this knowing in their knower. And so maybe she makes them his favorite meal or whatever. These are just examples to illustrate the concept that they have become one. They have been bonded in their emotions and their soul. And when you have sex with somebody, as we've talked a lot about on here, demons are transferred. I call them STDs, sexually transmitted demons. And it happens. Even in Christian couples that are born again, spirit-filled, that have demons, the demons can go back and forth between the married couple, just as Aziz was explaining. It's fascinating, but it happens. And it can be quite common with married couples or uh, parents and children. There are sessions where you're working with the parents and taking them through an exorcism, all of a sudden the child manifests. How is that possible? All about the soul bonds and spiritual covering. As fathers are the spiritual covering over the family, over the wife, over the children. So if there's things in the husband, then they have legal right to come to the wife and to the child. It's all about legality, legal rights. So praise the Lord, you guys have been freed up and it's an ongoing journey. I had someone recently ask me, do you think we'll ever stop needing exorcism sessions? And the answer is for me personally, no, I think I'll keep getting them along the way. Just, I just think personally, that's a personal opinion, but I think it also can come to a point where there's people in life that their demons, they're comfortable living with them. So they don't get rid of them. So I know Christians personally that are loaded full of demons and they're comfortable with the torment. They're comfortable with the dysfunction in their life. They're comfortable with all everything because they don't want to face themselves. And I think that's key. They don't want to face themselves. They don't want to take ownership of the mistakes that they made in life or the things that's happened to them in life, because you have to be brave and bold to go into that pain to get rid of the demons. The demons are hiding in the trauma. The demons are hiding in the pain. You got to go in there to get rid of them. And you listening right now, you can get rid of your demons. You don't have to be afraid about going into your trauma and your pain. Aziz and Nina did it. I've done it. Many people have done it. And so can you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to say, I can't do this. You absolutely can do it. Look, I'm blind. So if I can do it, certainly you can do it. And my encouragement to you listening is to make this year be your year of freedom. You don't have to give these guys that free hotel room. <laughs> Kick them out. Get tired of it, the torment. Everybody's tormented in different ways, and it can stop. You don't have to live that way. Make this year be your year of freedom. And Aziz and Nina, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your powerful testimony. This was so inspiring. I feel like I could do cartwheels when I see how Jesus Christ restores the lives of people. And he has restored both of you. This is wonderful. And at the end of every episode, I always ask my guests to offer words of encouragement to those listening. Listen, 
Aziz and Nina, there are people listening right now that have been listening for a while that have know they have demons and they're afraid to go for an exorcism. There are people listening who are intellectual like you, Aziz, that are intellectual, that are into IT or accounting or attorneys or whatever the analytical skill set is. And there are families that are broken from demons. There are parents that listen whose children are tormented. I would like to ask each of you to just offer some love and encouragement to the people listening, whether you're Christian or not. There is hope for you. You do not have to live in torment. You do not have to end your life. There is hope. Aziz, let's start with you. Can you please offer some words of encouragement, maybe to even people who are Muslim listening? Go ahead, my friend. Share some compassion and encouragement with the audience. And maybe I'll speak first to those Muslim listeners that are listening. I would only like to say that our Lord Jesus loves all all in the world and is only after the best for you as his children. So I would only encourage you to search and seek the true living God. Find him and let him find you. In the in our Bible it tells us he knocks, he's a gentleman, he knocks on the door. So if you search, he will find you. Keep seeking the true living God. He really loves you. He's out of love and respect. I tell you this and I ask you, because at the end of it, there's two places we go to when we die. And I would love to meet you in eternity in heaven together with Jesus. For those Christian brothers and sisters who actually say, I'm born again and I am not, I don't have a demon. I would encourage you, look at your life, step back. I ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Because all of us, sure, we are born again. Our spirits are white as snow. We are redeemed. It's true. But I I believe that there are still parts of us in our emotions, in our thinking, that is still, still oppressed by demons or spirits. So seek the Lord, find those things, and seek help. Today, we have the internet. In the past, we never had this. So you have an opportunity to get things right in your life. So that the next generation and the generation after don't have the same issues that we have to go through in our lives. And I think that is the key. That is the main message I would give you. If anything, it's not for, the, for our generation, but for the ones that come after us. So they can truly serve the Lord in freedom and in peace. That is my encouragement to you today. And Nina, let's come to you. Go ahead and offer some encouragement to Christians who are listening, or mothers, or people who aren't even Christians. Go ahead, offer them some encouragement. My encouragement would basically be to praying mums who believe in God, don't stop praying, because God hears you where you are. You don't, mum, or even young woman, you don't need to sell yourself out to a prophet to a spiritual leader. There is a reason, like with when God created Eve, that God hears the fervent prayer of a mother. God hears, he answers in the singular time. Don't stop praying, mothers, sisters, for your families, for your husbands, for those to come to salvation 
to come to know freedom in the land of the living. Don't stop praying. Don't lose heart. Don't stop covering your family. Don't stop believing because God, the righteous God outside of eternity, he listens. He stops everything to listen to a mother's prayer. Don't lose your identity in what is going on in the world, even in the church. It's too easy. And also, another word, deliverance and exorcism, it's real. And it usually starts with a mom saying, but what about, what if we, and God is able, Jesus hears, he sees your heart, he knows the love he has. There, there is no measure of it. It's that wide and that high. That's how much Christ loves us. And your Bible, woman of God, keep it open. This online Bible, no, get yourself a Bible, the living word of God. Get it in your house. Bring that life back into the house. That is where you can start as a child of God, as a woman of the Most High God. You may be demon-possessed, and this is the first time you're coming to the realization of it. If that's you, I'd like to invite you right now to go to my website, justind.com, and book a session with me. Until next time, God bless.